Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Brave Room. With me today, we have Stefan from Streamline Games and Samir from Epic Games. Say hi, guys. Hi. So uh, you guys can't see this, but we are actually having this by webcam. So this is actually like almost face-to-face. This is the closest we've gone to a face-to-face episode. <laughs> So for those who might not be familiar with you guys, you want to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure, uh, I can start, I guess. Uh, my name is Stefan. I have been here in Malaysia for about 10 years now. Uh, I have been one of the founders of Streamline Media Group. We've been doing this for 20 years. Uh, in fact, of our kind of anniversary celebration this year. Uh, and um, Streamline Games, the one you introduced, is uh, one of our five big uh, brands. That, that's the one doing uh, games. And, um, you know, we'll talk about what we're doing in the region and uh, where the future of games in the region is going. So I'm very excited. Um, hi, I'm Samir. <laughs> I lead the territory for ASEAN in India for Unreal Engine. Um, and currently working with a whole network of game developers and studios besides media and entertainment companies, automotive training and simulation, as well as architecture firms to talk about how we can help through the use of Unreal and we have a team here which helps people with technical queries and we work with companies like Stefan's to you know continue to do all the great work that you see in Unreal Engine. Yeah yeah I've seen some of the stuff for Unreal Engine like I used to study 3D like it was one of those where they they called it 3D animation but you study like everything Mm. from like modeling and stuff so when I saw the Unreal Engine stuff I'm just like ooh that looks that looks good. <laughs> and it's been uh, doing great. I mean, looking at Unreal Engine 5 and everything, it's, I mean, looking good is an understatement, right? Like, it's very impressive where things are going. I mean, it's exciting to be in this space right now. Yeah, I have a friend who's a 3D modeler. Mm. And so, like, he's he's my remaining link to that side of the world. And so when, uh, when that tech demo came out, it was just like, look at what you can do. Look what you can do with this. Look how much rendering time that's going to save. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, yeah, and you see, like, uh, Samir was mentioning how much uh, is now happening in sort of adjacent spaces, right? Like industry adjacent spaces, like, um, you know, automotive, you know, aerospace, you know, other industries coming in and using this technology architects, you know, really getting big into it. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, finding ways to, to kind of embrace the inner gamer, the inner geek. You know, they may have been traditionally trained as an architect, but now they can actually also build, you know, virtual architecture. Maybe that's even more interesting to them. And so it's a lot of change right now um, because of the way that the technology has evolved. So uh, it's quite liberating for us as well as, <clears throat> as developers, you know, because we we work with so many different people all of a sudden that we haven't even touched before, right? Like it's not just uh, gamers anymore, but rather this broad field of everyone. It's like, it's like we have to return back to the real world. That's <laughs> what it feels like. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when you guys pitched this segment, I saw you guys had a term that was used called full service game development. And I I know what that is, but I think our listeners might not be quite familiar with that. Could you talk a bit about like what full service game development is? Sure. You know, I think um, it's like a natural progression from... Uh, maybe doing component work support for developers now to say okay we can come in and we can uh, do the entire product for you guys but essentially nowadays games have become so complex that 
any given title may have multiple studios working on it. You may have uh, different time zones involved, different locations involved. And uh, sometimes you just need experts that can really get the job done on a particular piece, right? So sometimes you come in for like a reporting job, you come in for maybe doing a, you know, let's say a new chapter in the game or like an expansion or like a story or DLC pack or whatever. But over time, as you get to know each other and you get to know the partners you're working with, you realize that, you know, if you work well together, why not expand that into actually doing full products together? Right, because also when, um, for us, you know, for building like our teams out, you know, you want to have designers on board. You want to have game designers, level designers. Uh, we have a full-time musician on board, right? Like you're building it up into full products that we're building internally, but you also can offer that service of doing full products for someone else, right? Because you have very different conversations when, you know, you're really discussing, like, how does how does the player respond to this? You know, is this, you know, maybe too difficult? Is it exciting? What about the story? Uh, it grows by different skill sets uh, internally as well. And so, uh, you want to get away from doing only components in a game, like maybe just only doing art or only doing some some of the engineering to doing the entire product yourself. And, you know, it comes with more pressure, more responsibility, right? It's like great power, great responsibility because you could screw up the game. Maybe it's too hard, it's too easy, not fun. But that is kind of like the offering, right? Come on board on a partnership where we are building the entire product uh, for one of our partners. Yeah, yeah. I think for, for our listeners who might might not like fully understand that a great example of this would be bioshock 2 where the mul- that game had a multiplayer component and that was worked on by another studio and that's unfortunately when people didn't like the multiplayer in bioshock 2 they carried that reputation with them they went on to work i think i can't remember which they worked on something else bioshock related and someone didn't like it and they were like Oh yeah, that's because they're the they're the Bioshock Two multiplayer guys. <laughs> that's the easy answer, right? Like to simply say, oh, you know, like this was because you know they gave it to another house or something like that. But you know, it is so pervasive now that every success, every failure in the industry, if it's public or not, is connected to uh, partnerships, right? I mean, uh, you work with an engine I mean, like Unreal, you know, that is a partnership as well, right? Like you lean on their technology in succeeding and doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you on certain things, right? Like there's that. Then you have different studios working on it, coming on board for uh, certain parts, right? Like even working with a publisher, you know, they will have certain specializations that they're good at, right? And you have to select the right kind of publisher to work for launching your game, right? So um, it's easy to point at some kind of, you know, failures of ports and everything where somebody bit off more than they can chew. Um, but it's kind of like the IT industry, right? It's kind of like, you know, no, nobody goes to the IT department when everything's working fine. It's only like when your computer is broken, you're like, oh my God, everything's on fire. <laughs> and then yeah, you no know one ever drops in just to stay high. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right now, our team guys would say that, like you only come when there's a problem, right? And so same with when a game breaks, right? Like you don't know all of the successes because at one point the developers move on, of course, and again, you're not going out there to brag about every little piece. Let's just get things moving and make the next game, right? So, but it is, it's very common. And um, you know, nowadays with these, major acquisitions in our space, right? Where you have, you know, Sumo acquired by Tencent and other, you know, major companies off the table, so to say, um, you know, it isn't always a given that, you know, you have the resources as a developer to really finish your game uh, by yourself or maybe even with partners you worked with before because, you know, the landscape is changing so quickly. So the idea of having the ability to partner between studios is very crucial. It's just not going to go away because these games, player expectations have come, uh, quite high 
like ironically you know like you can make games that are smaller nowadays and get away with it but the polish and kind of like level of sophistication of the gameplay and like good frame rates doesn't crash like actually have increased a lot right so your games have to be um you know usually have some kind of online capabilities you know run well be cross-play enabled you know be running on all the platforms come out simultaneously all of that requires you to you know really have your manpower in order and that requires you to work with other partners right so to to serve the demand of modern players yeah, definitely. I love that you mentioned the crossplay thing because I think uh, because I move around a lot in the fighting game communities, and that's one of our big big demands is please let us have crossplay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a huge demand, right? And so, for example, Unreal, uh, you know, has uh, has invested into systems like uh, EOS, like Epic Online Services, you know, that uh, we're also very familiar with as well, and have partnered on that. And you know, it's it's really understanding where the gaps are still to enable crossplay, to enable convenience for players, you know, like consistent save games, you know, uh, all the different friend lists uh, interacting with each other. Um, that's really this next phase, right? And I think you know, Epic is very strong in talking about like the metaverse idea and, and everything behind it. And that is all, you know, crossplay is part of that, right? Like connecting with your friends and players anywhere, you know, being mobile, if you will, you know, uh, wherever you want to be you can play the playstation you can play on your phone it's all connected right like that is all um the convenience that is not really expected for future games but it comes at a cost for the developer in terms of well you have to work with the right kind of partners to make that happen yeah definitely definitely so you you mentioned that you know a lot more a lot more studios like a lot more manpower is being needed for a game and i recently hit credits on no more heroes 3 that game has some really long credits, and this seems to be the the recurring theme now. Is that game credits are longer than ever, and you you see all these teams from all around the world working on them. You know, they're and they're shouting out to each of this. So, I guess like what what do you guys think of the fact that basically every big video game is now a global collaborative effort? See, you know, it's funny for us, you know, when when this topic comes up, right? Because um, I sort of have two different perspectives on this right on one hand i think you know um it is natural to have that trend you know where you have this kind of large collaboration and it makes this really long credit list which is good because it means people are getting credited you know which they should be yeah definitely uh, so you know collaboration and large-scale ambitious projects you know 100 million dollar projects that's cool you know but um at the same time though you know publishers when you actually look, look at sort of the history between like releases today and releases 20 years ago big publishers are taking less bets they're releasing a lot less content a lot of games coming out nowadays than they did you know in the playstation 1 playstation 2 era and that is because you know every major launch nowadays has to be like a franchise building operation right it has to be like the new destiny and you know you have to play that game as a player for years and years to make back that money uh it's you know these these major pushes right like um you know anything that is like a free-to-play game like you know it has to come with that bombast right and yeah. so you know like apex legends have things and you know that means fewer bets so you know massive titles of like a thousand people working on that but you know what about smaller titles where the creativity really has to shine where you need to um, maybe try you know kind of more indie ideas you know where the creativity really comes out a bit more experimental um, and that tends to usually, that size of these smaller titles, this is like a 30, 40, 50 person team. And that has traditionally been where the games industry had their, their golden eras, right? Like this happened in the late 90s, it happened in the early 2000s. 
um, that's where innovation really comes in, right? So I think the the future is going to be a balance between those two. You know, if you only make these like mega IPs, everything is going to be um, sequels, right? And these massive productions. You need to balance that with sometimes the you know like the art house equivalent of of games coming out, smaller titles. And you know the fascinating thing is, and this is why. I think our partnership with Epic is also quite nice is, you know, that, you know, between Epic and Streamline, we serve actually both of these pillars. Like, you know, we work with the, the mega projects, you know, it's like these massive, you know, art productions, complex web of cross-play games, all that kind of stuff. But of course, smaller games are also empowered by the marketplace, they're empowered by automated tools, they're empowered by the convenience of the, the engine really automating a lot. So my hope for the future is really that there is actually these two these two tracks, if you will, because this is what the industry needs to be healthy. Like for best is great. And that's really what we are hoping for as well yeah. as Epic, right? Like the whole idea of kind of democratizing our tools such as Unreal Engine and then kind of you know, we've kind of added a whole bunch of other acquisitions which we have now plugged inside of the engine like the Grad Game Tools, uh, which allows indie developers with smaller studios to get access to the same quality of tools that large developers get when pretty much at the same cost which is zero so mm. i think that's really the critical part is that the if you look at the longer term trend around this the longer term trend is the tools will get even more democratized and the difference between getting access to technology when it comes to a large studio versus a small studio will become negligible if you look at sort of tools like the meta-human creator today, it, you know, tools like those which require that kind of fidelity on digital humans would cost millions of dollars to do and mm-hmm. you can literally log on to a web browser today and create something, create a character and then you know download it and import it instead of Unreal Engine's editor and get access to you know the same kind of fidelity that anyone else could only afford after a couple of million dollars of a threshold. So over the course of the next three to four years, just as in the case of what YouTube did with video, where it began to democratize the capabilities of reaching large audiences by providing high quality tools, I think similar sort of patterns will repeat in video gaming as well. Uh, But to Stefan's point, I don't think it will become, it will never be at the scale of those large AAA titles, which are essentially sequels to big hits of franchises because those will still need huge teams spread globally, working for years to deliver a high quality product. But new IP will be seeded by, you know, before to have a sequel, you need a great IP and a great hit. And I think that will, that is something that will become far less rarer Mm. because of the democratization of tools in general. I was going to say, it was just like, before this, you know, you were limited by how much you wanted to work on. Like if, if I wanted to make an RPG, how long it would take to make that RPG was based on, you know, how many individual sprites can I draw? And I'd have to start that from zero and, you know, but I think with stuff like the metahumans in particular, like you can create background characters super easy. Like ma- making people is one of the worst parts of working in 3D. So have raising the skill floor on that is, uh, is really, really good. Yeah, it's I think the larger trend yeah. also on that will be about how it is no longer, I think a large part of creation, if you see what's happening with Roblox and increasing which will happen with larger metaverse related games, the large part of this creation will be ha- will actually occur with user generated content where users will ac- have access to the same tools that the studios do. And I, th- I can certainly see a lot of game studios head in that direction as 
they build these large constantly inhabited persistent universes where the co-productors once once the co-productor comes ahead and you have the your mao daos and your waos your users then begin to use the same tools as you and abstraction of those to essentially build your own games out and you know i i see that in especially in especially in the case of like you know these persistent rpg kind of universes where you have the need to constantly keep creating new characters beyond you you know if users kind of are leveling up their own characters but the ability then to add more newer add new assets to that world and to add new ip to that world i think you'll see users now getting acquainted with the same tools and that's going to be the big change to keep the world constantly alive what i find really interesting is it also has a kind of a counterintuitive effect on the player expectations which i think is really interesting and that is you know by democratizing sort of leveling really the graphical fidelity right like to go to you know the asset stores and you can get like mega scan assets and they're just like pixel perfect you know kind of canyons and things like this um what it, what actually happens now also is that the the arms race for like super high end graphics you know is kind of like leveling out which is actually quite nice you know from like a product innovation perspective because a couple of years ago i think there was this implication like every game has to be like the best characters you know you must have like 30 character models modelers working for like years you know sweating making these amazing characters and you know there's value in that but you know there was almost an expectation like you need to look like this the next gears of war has to look like this the next one has to look better has to look better and uh, now you know because graphics are such a high standard just by default you can make a roblox and the players will be fine you know it, you know a couple years ago they would have judged it as like this looks like crap essentially like you know why would i play this this is blocky graphics but nowadays this is totally acceptable you can make a stylized game you can make a super photoreal game you can make a uh you know a, a very kind of pixel art game whatever you want to do like as long as it's fun nowadays and it's polished you will actually get the way with it right like there's no longer that pressure another thing is really really exciting because innovation comes first yeah definitely i think the most recent example you could see that was with uh, fall guys yeah sure because look, look how many games now have weird bean people because that's <laughs> I mean like, yeah anything goes right like as long as it becomes a success and is fun and and again has maybe cross play online that is more important nowadays that I can connect with my friends that it's convenient to me that's what matters right and uh, you don't have to push the graphics to the maximum and that is super super liberating and kind of is counterintuitive to like the the mega projects you know like not every game has to be 100 million dollars if you have an emotional story to tell you can tell it with less you know you don't have to make the best possible graphics because it's also you know it'll take you like 5 years to make this right like what is going to be the best fit for what kind of title and uh, that liberation you know hopefully it will be embraced by the industry uh to you know why make one game with with that story if you can make five games to tell different stories yeah definitely definitely and uh, uh yesterday as of this recording shuhei yoshida from playstation actually gave like he mentioned that indie games are important for our ecosystem for this reason like that's where you get this kind of innovation yeah i mean you know what's funny is you know um studios that now make indie games which are maybe you know 20 30 40 people in size this was just the industry back in the early 2000s like there was no indie game title for it right so um hopefully seeing a return of of that that ecosystem you know that size ecosystem you know is is exactly where we're going yeah i do have one question like related to more like 
So I think everyone has this idea in their head about indie games, which is that you know they're always made by one dude in a garage, mm-hmm. who's who maybe sold his car to, to as uh for capital to make the game, and I think you know that's not not entirely accurate anymore. But could you talk about like what kind of uh intra industry support can come to uh these kind of developers might have access to? I think it's a lot different now from the 90s. So there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Um, Samir, do you want to talk about like the part of uh, the Unreal ecosystem? Then I can talk about like the overall ecosystem. Yeah, sure. So I mean, think about it in terms of again access to tools, right? Uh, where you already know about Unreal Engine, the fact that uh, you know it is free really helps a lot. The second part is look at the look at the ecosystem around that the first is uh, you know look at epic online services right you essentially have the core plumbing that runs games like fortnite including matchmaking uh, the custom lobbies everything which you would this leaderboards all of it that you would desire live comms you know voice chat all of that stuff is essentially given free away and you can just like plug in with a simple sdk right so there's epic online services then there is the meta human creator there is quixel mega scans there is sketch i mean the sketch app now which will also become cheaper because of uh, once it's being acquired and integrated into the ecosystem and then there is the unreal engine marketplace the ability to get to a minimum viable game is so much faster we already seeing that in the case of indies right if you have sold your car you obviously don't have a lot of money right? and um, we've also kind of come up with the epic mega grants piece which over the last i think 2 years 3 years especially in our region there have been tons of indies who have applied and got mega grants and then built really good high quality you know double uh, i titles out of it or triple i titles on the way to a triple i title so that ecosystem i believe really you need three enablers access to talent access to capital and access to knowledge uh the access to talent is something which stefan i'm sure will talk a lot more about but we have a great network now of game developer companies also which we can connect indies to second is the access to capital where mega grant comes in but we also help with warm connections to venture capital funds and the third is access to knowledge and that i think has been the biggest sort of gap so far because the editor and the engine is not always easy to use especially if you're a small team to understand and there is a learning curve to it and that's really where we have now given away free training in this entire region anybody who wants to learn unreal engine we actually give them a live tutor and have the ability to sit with them and take them through the paces of the entire editor uh, and make sure that they understand how to use the engine itself so yeah i think that those are the three places which typically inhibit people from taking the leap and we've tried to find a way to reduce friction in all three of them either by making it free or in most cases such as mega grandi and giving money to incentivize that they take the first step forward to answer the the question further i think you know is it different now or is it still true that people kind of start in the garage and kind of break out um when you go way way back into the 80s you know like literally like you know million sellers could happen from like some kid you know in the parents you know house you know coding something sending it to atari and and making millions Um nowadays I think you know the tools are much more sophisticated like we talked about but obviously the discovery is much harder because there are a lot more products out there so um you know when you still hear stories about uh you know somebody actually making it you know by by themselves 
um, or like maybe a small team, you know, you take a closer look at like where exactly they, they made that breakout. And usually there are other factors, you know, for example, you know, maybe they, they had a YouTube channel that helped them with discovery or, you know, like they got a lucky break at a, at a trade show that they went to, you know, and really that helped them in, you know, breaking out. Or maybe it is actually in a in a space that has a lot of attention, where they can still break out kind of from their garage. Let's say like you know the like the NFT you know blockchain type space, right? Like where there's very few games coming out. So if you do come out in that space or you make like make noise in that space, you're gonna get extra attention, right? But I think for a lot of the the base level uh, developers, you know, um, you do need to have some infrastructure to really kind of do the traditional push right now because. Like finding a publisher, they're going to have certain expectations, you know, like what about localization? What about licensing? You know, things that that are beyond the engine, if you will. Um, and also like, you know, getting it to work on all the different platforms, you know, getting crossplay to work, all of that. Like the tools are powerful, but it still requires you to wire it all up and, and get it ready. And, you know, even getting dev kits can sometimes be daunting experience for uh, developers. They may underestimate how much time it simply takes to get them, right? Uh, to get them shipped into Southeast Asia sometimes can be difficult. You need to kind of do, you have to kind of know how to maneuver that kind of stuff to get the, these things in here, like get the Xboxes, get the Playstations. So, you know, in some sense, making the game is, is it sounds like it's, you know, this small part, but actually then there's all this other stuff that goes around it. And so it really depends on what that developer wants out of it. Like if they want to get a cool idea into a cool prototype, you know, is that it? And then they're setting it off the publisher or do they want to self-publish and get it all the way into, you know, like into distribution, then it's a different commitment as well, right? So there are more options to get to success. And because of that, I think there are many more different individual paths that you have to kind of look at and see like, how did they get there, right? Yeah, yeah. And I do want to talk about like the, I feel like there's a, a strong community within indie game developers from from what I've seen where they're a lot more like, they're a lot more collaborative as well, I've noticed. I, I, I assume you'd have more experiences this than me though. Could you talk a bit about that, that collaborative spirit kind of? You know, I think um, it still could be a lot more, you know, like seeing, you know, let me say this way, uh, sometimes when you're working as a small developer with the, the larger uh, companies, you know, this is a perception created that uh, there's a scarcity of, you know, opportunities. Like there's only very few games you could participate on. There's only very few games that you can, uh, you know, work on a project on, but that's actually not really true, right? Like it is actually, um, there's more than enough to go around for everyone. Like there are so many players that, that want to have creative experiences. There could be a lot more collaboration between the studios than there is. That being said, I think that there is an increase in understanding that, that there is this wealth out there and to capture it effectively, you do need to work together. And the good thing is, you know, having a shared uh, technology space, you know, like with the Unreal Engine, that is tremendously helpful. Um, you know, so you do help each other, you do advise each other um, on just trying to to make sense of how the market is operating, right? And, and so um, it is increasingly happening that you just kind of collaborate together and, and kind of say like, well, I'm going to, you know, focus on the, the main product. You guys are focusing on the porting. We can all share and, and benefit from this. That That is going to be, I think, the future because the independent studios, you know, they, they can't stay indie in some sense. They need to be mature enough to work with each other. Uh, and then also, you know, look at, you know, which one of them might mature some infrastructure into being a down publisher and things like this. That is where it's all going, right? So um, I think the next five years will show a lot of progress in that regard in the region. Yeah, definitely. And I think like a good mindset to have, and you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, is 
when you're indie, there's no such thing as a corporate secret. You don't you don't have to get like hyper defensive. You don't have to be careful. I mean, here's the thing. You know, like if you have really great idea, you know,、um, you need to know who you who you work with, who do you trust on it. Because the truth is, if it's a really great idea and you know the wrong mega corp observes it, you know they can replicate it relatively quickly. You know, so you've got to be smart about how you do it as well. And understand that everything will take longer than you think, right? So、yeah. you know, as does any creative industry, you do need to be smart about it. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, maybe maybe don't like. <laughs> Drop the pitch for your game before you've started work on it, but you know, it's like <laughs> if you're if you're talking to your fellow indie game dev friend, you know, you don't have to suddenly start hiding your sketchbook. Like, oh no no no! no, no. no. You, I don't know. Like I would say, you know, there comes the point,、uh, especially like in the last two years of development, where it's actually very good to be very open with the game. Like you know, for us, you know, right now with COVID, it's unfortunately not so easy, and that has affected our game development as well. But what you really should do is constantly testing your game. You invite people over, you know, communities of players, and just go play the games, get feedback. You know, you need to get feedback into into the game because you're making it for the players, right? So, I think once you're in, like, your momentum is really there, and it's really about like min-maxing, kind of optimizing the product. You you should be very open with it, and we've done that oftentimes as well. Like. Have、uh, have other developer friends play our games and get feedback from them, and just because it's that last ten percent that they have to get right, you know, to make the game really, you know, flip around. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, because obviously you guys have some experience playing games as well, like it's kind of prerequisite for making games is having played them a little bit. Hopefully. <laughs> and I want to talk to you guys about co-op games. So, do you think there's a difference between couch co-op and online co-op? Samir, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, first of all, it's concurrency. How many people are you going to get concurrently on your couch, <laughs> right? But、uh, the other one is,、uh, you know, just the scale of what you can do in、uh, online co-op is bigger. But you know, I somewhat I actually miss the old days of sitting with my brother on the Atari or the 8-bit Nintendo and sitting and playing with him <laughs> on the couch, right? The other day, in fact, you know, with the new PS5. Um, I was、uh, sitting around and I was trying to struggle to figure what game can I play. You know, with、uh, what is the need of an additional controller beyond which game needs that right now, which is fun to play. And I was struggling to figure out which one it is. It's almost like、uh, the whole world's optimized for online co-op, right?、Uh, besides Mortal Kombat and maybe FIFA and a couple of others like those. I can't think of any other game which is being built to the idea of you know bring your call your friend over and have a good time playing you know、uh, couch co-op. So yeah, that's my two bits. I don't know if it makes sense. I mean, I think you know there isn't any、uh, thing sort of innate reason that right now couch co-op is seeing、uh, increased attention. I think in general the trend is towards your games having online or multiplayer capabilities. And I think the new generation of players. And really, Fortnite actually has a lot to do with this, right? Like we can thank、uh, Epic for this in some sense. Like, you know, all these young gamers that are kind of being graduated into into other titles, you know, from from Fortnite. Like they're kind of expecting that, right? Like they're expecting to be playing something, to have their friends around, you know, to to show off to them, you know, like their accomplishments and and to have that interaction space, you know, digitally. You know, for your game to be completely isolated in a single player track. It better be like really, really good, you know, for this, you know. But even then, like you know, you can see this with like 
single player games you know like uh, the souls titles where like you have invasions and or assists where you can still connect online so i think that is just becoming increasingly a a expectation that your games just have the ability to be online capable in some form or another i mean even single player games you may have co-op assists right like i'm playing my story but my friend has the same game we we finished a chapter together right like this is i think where things are going and uh you know for for the older generation you know we're a bit more used to like you know solo play and you know it doesn't have monetization it doesn't have free to play kind of ideas you know but for there's a whole new generation of players coming up but for them this is very second nature like it doesn't have the same stigma as it did maybe to to the early generations you know so it's becoming i think just more common and you see couch co-op games emerging just simply because they are the 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 base first step towards that right like this is this is the one way to make a multiplayer game without actually doing multiplayer code if you think about it if you just do pure couch co-op right uh, but also something that we've learned as well right? feedback for our own title was you know very quickly is like couch is is not usually where my friends are these days they are you know on their couch right like so immediately it's like couch co-op is good but online co-op is better far better right and then it's matchmaking then it's crossplay and that's kind of like the chain you have to work your way up and every step is more complex so i think you're just simply seeing this kind of dna evolution towards everything has to be connected with your friends i think it's it's inevitable that uh, you will have these you know the whole idea of the metaverse is that these will be persistent mm. fully connected worlds right so it's inevitable that the idea of massive concurrent uh, concurrency is going to be supported uh, right now in fortnite you have limitations and those limitations the whole idea of technology is that to kind of go against that brick wall and kind of find a way to you know demolish that so uh, there is I, i think going to be lesser and lesser like to his point it's like a dna strand right uh, it's going to keep mutating until it becomes so large that it becomes almost um it becomes obvious that any game will have the ability to be inhabited simultaneously across the world by huge audiences together at the same point of time it's true i think you know you don't even have a lot of games yet even today that really have you know visible to your player eye you know a thousand players running around like this is not pretty rare right like it's usually like 100 players or 64 players or something so there's yeah. still a lot of expansion space in that a lot of interesting games coming yeah no def- definitely but i also think like there is something nice about the intimacy of a couch co-op session you know like as great as it is playing online with your friends like again to bring this back to the fighting games thing it's nothing like watching your friend just die inside when you when you trash them <laughs> you know the nothing the the intimacy of playing with somebody that that you're close to uh, is also I think a comfort as well for for a lot of people in this kind of you know crazy time that we live in and uh, we know this from our own metrics as well is there's a large player base that it's just couples play right like it's oh. always like you know you and your your best person of your life right like coming together you know um and that makes a lot of sense firstly it's the easiest to match make with one more person because it's literally just plus one it's not waiting for the third one it's not waiting for the fourth one but also it's you know just a lot of like gamers they have found a significant other and they play with each other and that's that's all they they want right like maybe they don't have kids yet or they're not part of that or getting like you know i think it's really about co-op is like two players versus party play which is i think right now not so much a focus or this is i don't think where most of the actual party games are being are being played that way oddly enough <laughs> actually and this is, this is the perfect question to to end it on really is 
So we've been stuck inside for two years. Uh, if you've just woken up from a coma, congratulations. I'm glad <laughs> this is how you chose to learn about it. We've all been stuck indoor for like the, for coming on two years now. And do, do you think that it's going to, once we finally get out of this horrible, horrible nightmare, there'll be a more of an appetite for that, for that more intimate experience? Because I'd really like it if my friends stopped being a screen and started being <laughs> physical people in the same room with me. I wonder about this. You know, I think right now already, like, you know, in Malaysia or in Southeast Asia or, or in Asia in general, we're still maybe a bit more locked down, right? But if you look at Europe or the US, like they're, you know, for better or worse, already really out there a lot, right? And so we're not seeing really significant drop-offs or changes in, in player engagement. So, you know, I think we're in the middle of, of you know, this, this lockdown being lifted. So looking at that, you don't see everyone just suddenly running to the beach and being like, I will never touch my computer again, right? Like more likely they'll bring their phone to the beach, play there a little bit, you go swim, come back and, you know, go back online and play, uh, you know, Fall Guys or something or XD Infinity or something, right? So I think, um, I don't think it's going to really change too much. I think too many people have been onboarded into digital entertainment and that's not going to be undone anytime soon, right? I think a lot of players are here to stay and that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, to add to that, I think, uh, you know, obviously nothing will ever replace that intimacy unless maybe the whole idea of what, I guess, people are trying to do with technology is trying to recreate that intimacy, either in the form of what kind of companies like Spatial are trying to do or Surreal, which is built on Unreal, are trying to do is find, kind of find a way to do that. It'll never be sort of equal equivalent to having somebody there, but the idea is they're trying to bridge that gap. But yeah, hopefully we'll all have this behind us in a couple of years from now and mm -hmm. we'll be back. You know, at least this generation of kids over the last three, four years will miss out on that. And that's the that's the downer on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to, to Stefan's point, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think people are going to like ditch video games once this comes out. Because I think some deep-rooted addictions have been put into these people. The, mm -hmm. Like... The ones, I know a bunch of people who started like, started picking up gaming since, you know, they're spending more time mm -hmm. indoors. And I'm just like, oh no, your life has changed now. That's, <laughs> that's, gonna, mm -hmm. that's gonna happen. But yeah, I, I do think like there, there are other people who share the same frustration of like, when can we play games but you not just be an icon on Discord? I think you say the key there, right? Which is you do want it, but you want it more convenient, right? So you want to go to the, to, you know, let's say like an open, you know, open roof party or something. You want to travel, but you still want to have, you know, the app that connects to it. You still want to have, you know, your, your games that you play there work when you get home. So it's really, I think the, as long as the games have that kind of flexibility where they can follow you around, um, they will be connected. You will still log in at least once a day, right? For for those players, right? So it's not going to yeah. go away. So it's kind of you're going to get the best of both worlds, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's pretty much like all the questions I have prepared. Is there anything else you guys wanted to like to like show? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just an exciting time, you know, to to see what's happening in the region and with games overall. You know, I think the pandemic had a lot of negatives, but I think a positive that can come from it is that. It has accelerated where the games industry is supposed to be by probably about five to seven years, right? So adoption has increased, technology has increased, you know, um, that is going to be really good for for uh, sort of independent developers 
it's going to be great for um, you know engine technologies you know with, with Unreal leading the charge and so uh, it's exciting time to be partnered with Unreal and it's exciting time to play in this space. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when you when you say like we've advanced by five years, I think in the in the fighting game community, especially like for us, we finally got developers to listen to us about netcode. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's, it's became the, very important. Yeah, like suddenly a bunch of developers are going, "Oh no, no, no we'll we'll go, we'll <laughs> fix the netcode on our games, please." Because before this, whenever whenever community would come out and say like, "Please fix the netcode," they say, "Why? Tournaments are played yeah. in person." netcode doesn't matter at, at evo funny. and then suddenly you can't have in-person evo anymore and everyone's like oh no we have to fix our netcode but yeah so definitely i think for all the garbage this pandemic has been we've had we've had a good like tech tree increase also i like that your your shelf is doing a weird light dance <laughs> yeah like hilarious yeah it's a happy but happy yeah. shelf but yeah summer did you did you want to say anything before we before we close off for today uh, no, it's the same thing, right? Which what Stefan was saying is that I think the whole industry in the last three years has accelerated. The idea of the metaverse was just from the Stephenson novels and the William Gibson novels. Mm. Uh, and now, you know, suddenly everybody is talking about it almost as though, you know, we're already there. Uh, but uh, I, I think a lot of these ideas of uh, simultaneous play and you know, huge sort of concurrent worlds have all come to the fore and you know tools like I think Unreal Engine are now going to we're already seeing adoption grow rapidly and we are super excited to find a way to aid developers uh, with the combination of the tools but also with the mega grant keep doing that because I think that's you you make the industry a better place by by like letting more developers on instead of you know just fo focusing on like three or something but yeah, and I think that's I think we have a, we have a podcast there. So thank you so much to Samir and Stefan for coming on the show. Thank you for having and us. And make sure to go like if you're an indie game developer listening to this, you know, definitely check out Unreal Engine stuff. And if you have any social media you guys would like to plug, please go ahead. I mean, we are easily reachable. Uh, just go to unrealengine.com or if you guys need to get in touch, just Google us and uh, I'm sure you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm quite prompt in responding back if you need any help or questions and happy to catch up with you over a Zoom call, whoever's listening to this and talk more about how to develop great quality games. And for us, you know, um, Media Group, we're very active on LinkedIn as well. Uh, 200 people strong now and growing fast. So if you're looking for, uh, you know, jump uh, to uh, all our crazy projects, please uh, reach out. We're active in Europe, in uh, Asia, Malaysia, uh, and well, in the Americas. So, you know, reach out and uh, yeah, more news will come from us, I'm sure. All right. Thank, thank you so much to my guests and thank you listeners for listening. Don't forget, uh, just to you know rate this episode if you liked it and remember if it hits a thousand players i have to take a terrible terrible idea from you so work hard and leave a terrible comment so that i don't have an easy option to get out of uh this has been another episode of brave room thank you so much for listening and thank take you. care guys <laughs>